Welcome to the inaugural episode of Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. In this premiere episode, we discuss the Adam Jones controversy and its reverberations for the entire city of Boston. We also talk NFL Draft. Michael discusses the Patriots' picks 4 through 7, as well as an analysis of the trades that left them with no first, second, or third round picks. Jeff talks about the New York Giants draft and gives an overview of winners and losers from the entire league. That and more in the inaugural episode of Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Michael Elkins. I am one of the hosts of Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. I'm actually coming to you by myself today. And I am recording this introduction about four or five days after our original episode one was posted to iTunes and Google Play. And the reason for that is um, I wanted to give a little background as to how, how and why we decided to post what we've called episode one remastered. Now, if you heard episode one and you're listening to me now, you've probably noticed a significant improvement in the audio quality. And you'll notice that there's now a music introduction and some effects that weren't there previous. When we published episode one, we had asked everyone for feedback. And the largest amount of feedback we heard was that we had very poor audio quality. Now, make no mistake, we understood our audio wasn't perfect. And we knew that At some point, we would have to invest in some different equipment and learn the tricks of the trade. I don't think, though, as as amateur podcasters and, you know, Jeff and I are lawyers, as we talked about in that first episode, we understood how poor it was. I think we were so excited to hear ourselves on iTunes and that we actually got that far and got it posted that the audio quality um, was a little lost on us. So... In taking the feedback seriously, in the last three or four days, I have gone ahead and given myself a crash course in audio editing and production. And by by no means an expert, but I think we've improved significantly. Um, Now, you may wonder, well, why even leave the episode up? Why not just start anew and pretend like that never happened? And and it's important to address this. We, We do believe in being transparent with the people that are going to listen to this. And what's most important is that we want people to understand that this is a podcast being done by two regular fans. Just like you all are regular fans in sports, as we are, we are regular podcasters. We're not paying anyone to produce this. We're not paying anybody to adjust our sound levels. And we think that that's important that you know that, that you the people that listen from the beginning can hear where this came from and to where and where it goes. And as we improve, um, just like you would have to improve in your daily life, we we are doing that with our podcast. So we're not two just professional podcasters who have a sound studio and a crew doing this, but we're going to try to put together an A plus product. Now, of course, we think that we're going to provide intelligent commentary and something that's worthy of listening to. But at the same time, we are just like the rest of you out there. We're two fans, and we want to make sure we are authentic to our audience. So having said that, I want to get you into the first episode. And understand, when you hear that, you will hear the audio quality change. It's going to downgrade. Now, now I've, I've adjusted it and edited it as much as I can. 
Um, and if there's any sound engineers out there, I'm sure they could do better, but it's taken me a while to do it. So it is better than what it was. It's, um, it's, it's not perfect by any means. Now you will hear episode two, which should drop in the next couple days. We're going to record that Tuesday night after, um, game seven is played Celtics wizards on Monday and then the NBA draft lottery. And you'll, that will be recorded with this equipment that I'm using here. One of the other things that we did in addition to production was we invested in some a little bit upgrade of equipment, which for new podcasters out there, those of you listening, it's really not that expensive as a startup, although it's, the minimal costs are well worth it results-wise. So let me get you into, um, into the episode, as I promised. Two final things. One, um, please, if you like what you hear leave us a review on iTunes. It takes only a minute. It's a tremendous help to us because iTunes boosts its search level based on based on listenership and reviews. So if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. If you don't like what you hear, please don't leave a review, but let us know. You can email the show and I read those emails every day. It's jmsportspodcast.com at gmail.com and your email will be answered if you leave us a review we will uh, say your name online if you want us to or on the podcast and also you can follow me on instagram at melkins one or on twitter at melkins three one one seven five i'm very active on both of those um, we'll probably have a podcast Instagram at some point and a podcast Twitter, but for now, um, those are gonna those are gonna be what we use to get going. So, I want to get you into the episode. Thank you very much for listening again. Please, remember, please leave a review if you like what you hear. Send us an email for your feedback. Tell us what you want us to talk about. And thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoy the content. Have a great time, everyone. Good evening, good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome. I uh, want to introduce everyone to our first ever podcast that's actually going to be published for the general public to listen to. My name is Michael Elkins. I'm here with my friend, partner, colleague, buddy, Jeff Kamenetsky. Jeff, hey. say, hi, say hi to the world. How's it going, world? How's it going, Mike? Um, it's going well. Good we're man. Here, we're here in beautiful Cooper City, Florida. It is on a, beautiful. On a rainy, rainy Tuesday night. Uh, it's our first ever uh, podcast for the world. So let, let me take a minute and tell everybody who we are and what the heck we're doing here and why you should listen to us. Um, This is going to be a podcast that talks about national sports. Jeff and I met, I think, over 10 years ago now. Oh, yeah. And uh, by way of background, uh, we're both lawyers, and I had my own practice at the time. And I won't talk too much about that other than to say that I was sharing office space with a firm that Jeff worked with in downtown Fort Lauderdale. My office was decorated with sports. Jeff comes wandering into the office. He looks around, and immediately um, our friendship developed from there, right? I mean, that was the way it worked, although I saw immediately he was a Patriot and Red Sox fan. I knew this would be a great friendship, but I also knew that we'd have uh, plenty to talk about down the road in sports. And, and I think our friendship galvanized, just so you all understand, during the – uh, it was about 03 that I was in that office space. So it was the 04 Sox-Yankees American League Championship Series – for those of you that don't know, the Red Sox came back from down 3-0, and Jeff and I would come into work in the morning. We were the only sports fans in the office. It's zombies. And, and Jeff, who has two, two, two daughters, would tell me, they, they were much younger at the time, but would tell me, I, I think, if I remember this right, that even though you are Mets fans, you were rooting for the Red Sox oh, yeah. 
against the Yankees, right? Absolutely. And so for, we share that. And, and am I right? For good luck, you were hanging a pair of red socks from the <laughs> stairwell. Now, you can't see where we are, everybody, but we're in Jeff's living room. Very, very advanced studio we have here. And I think I'm staring at that stairwell. Am I not? That's where it was. And my daughters were at the time were about uh, 10 and 9. And we're big Mets fans. But we didn't want to root for the Yankees. And we were pulling for the Red Sox so much. So Mike and I had come in the next day tell him that my whole family was, was pulling for his team. And uh, that's really started. And we've, we've been going to spring training games once a year ever since. And we, we had this idea that we would talk sports to the world. Because uh, we're two, we think... Two smart guys, and uh, we, we love sports, and there's a lot to talk about, and we think this is a great medium to share our ideas. And this really, uh, on those drives up to Port St. Lucie, that's where it started year after year. We just start talking sports. We realized we're both passionate about it. We'd argue, we'd laugh, we'd goof on each other, but we said, hey, why not bring this to the next stage? So here's what the show is. We're going to talk national sports every show. We promise you that. But because Jeff's from New York and a New York Mets fan and a New York Giants fan, and I'm from New England... Patriots, Celtics, Red Sox. I left out the Knicks because nobody cares about them. Um, <laughs> for now. For now. We're going to always have a little bit of wrap-up on the local teams and whatever sport's happening. Uh, so, you know, we're in baseball season and basketball. So Mets, Celtics, Red Sox. And for football, obviously, Patriots, Giants. And then we will, of course, focus on the national issues. But we are New York and New England guys, and so we're going to talk a little bit about those teams and, again, focus on the national issues. So we hope you all enjoy it. Uh, we need a name, so if you want to contact the show for now, you can contact us at my email address, which is elkinslaw at yahoo.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, at melkins1, or you can follow me on Twitter, at melkins31175. So if you have any suggestions for our show, please feel free to send us anything at any of those mediums. And let's get right into it. You know, if we had done this on Sunday night, which is when we would normally do it, we would have been talking about the Red Sox inability to hit when Chris Sale pitches. But we're going to get into a serious issue first. We promise we're going to get to the NFL draft. That's going to be the bulk of the show. But first, I want to talk about the Red Sox and, and the situation with Adam Jones that actually has been developing minute by minute right before we even sat down tonight. Right, Jeff? That started. I know. It was huge news. I... I made sure Mike knew about it. He goes, I already know about it, and uh, I'm going to be ready to talk about it. So, uh, and let me just back up one second. You know, we did a few draft runs of these podcasts. We have two of them that are not for public consumption, but I want to thank Case DeBusk, Rona Kamenetsky, Brent Kodachik, Shelly Grossberg, and Eli Porras, who listened to our first few runs of this and were very, very kind enough to give us feedback, kind enough to share their thoughts. They're all, those are all very busy people. And they took time out of their day, and, and we appreciate it. We got very constructive feedback. We're going to implement that, we hope, um, to this. So thank you to all those people. Now Adam Jones. So by way of background, Adam Jones plays for the Baltimore Orioles, who had a series at Fenway Park. Last night, Jones told USA Today after the game that he was subjected to racial slurs during the game and had peanuts thrown on him. The racial slur was the N-word. I'm not going to say this more than once, and, and I think it's covered ground, and it's obvious. There's no room for that in baseball, in any sport. That's a pretty easy thing. I'm going to leave it at that, because I really don't think that's the story, that it's bad to say that word and it shouldn't happen in sports. No kidding. Um, there's, there's context and nuance, though, 
to this situation and there's background that needs to be brought up before I talk about what I think the, the real issue is. You have to understand first that there's a lot of history, recent history with the Orioles and the Red Sox. And I'm not saying that Adam Jones is a liar because he's not. I believe him. He's one of the most articulate athletes in sports. I have no reason to doubt him. However, um, there's plenty of history between the Orioles and the Red Sox right now. Dustin Pedroia was spiked by Manny Machado two weeks ago. The teams have been trading bean balls ever since. The other part of this is the recent history in the media with labeling the city of Boston as a racist city. And that Jones comes out with his comments last night, and immediately Jameel Hill and Bomani Jones are all over Twitter with a bunch of I told you so's, that the entire city's racist. Very, very quick to pull the trigger on that. Adam Jones came out today and quite prophetically said that he understands the entire city's not racist. He specifically said that it would be stupid of him to say the city's racist, that he understands it's a passionate fan base and that it's not the fault of the Red Sox. What I think the real story here is is not that it's not okay to say that. The real story is how the Red Sox handled this, and let's talk about that. Sam Kennedy, who's the president of the Red Sox and was basically the Theo Epstein of the business side for the Red Sox since 2002, came out today on various media outlets in Boston, uh, most notably on WEEI, and he told the world what the Red Sox did. First, they met personally with Adam Jones and Buck Showalter, Sam Kennedy and John Henry, the owner, and apologized for the incident. According to Sam Kennedy, Adam Jones specifically said it's not the Red Sox fault. Red Sox took responsibility immediately. They met with the entire team to investigate the situation in Fenway Park. And according to Kennedy tonight, pregame was told that Red Sox players admitted to hearing racial slurs at Fenway Park. The teams already put up overnight from last night till tonight's game, additional signage alerting fans that they need to report this kind of behavior and it's not going to be tolerated. The team's conducting an internal investigation to try to find out who it was that said this, how they can prevent it in the future, and why the heck it's even happening. Additionally, the team went ahead and met with Dan Duquette, general manager of the Orioles, former general manager of the Red Sox, to discuss with him security measures that could be taking place. They've added extra security tonight for the game and issued a statement through the Red Sox and through Major League Baseball that they don't condone this. Adam Jones came out and said that he believes the Red Sox addressed this swiftly without any sort of weight. They made no excuses. They take full responsibility. That's the real story here. The story is how the team handled it. They didn't question Adam Jones. They didn't question anyone else. They took full and complete responsibility. And I think, frankly, they should be applauded for that. Yeah. For those that are calling the entire city of Boston racist, and I'm talking to you, Jameel Hill, and you, Bomani Jones, there is nothing more ignorant than broad-based labeling and stereotyping like that. Has Boston had race relation, relations issues in the past? Absolutely. That's well documented. But so has Los Angeles, Chicago, Dallas, any big city. To come out and use this incident as your I told you so moment is weak journalism on both of your parts and any other media member that has decided that because of this, the entire city's racist. And I'll add one more thing. In addition to Adam Jones specifically saying that it would be stupid to call the entire city racist. Buck Showalter came out today and said that this happens other places, not just Boston. 
So to you, Jameel Hill, and you, Bomani Jones, get your act together. Let's stop with broad-based stereotyping and focus on the good that can come of this, which was the reaction of the team. Jeff? Yeah, a great response by the Red Sox. This kind of garbage happens not just in Boston. It happens everywhere. Adam Jones was bold enough to speak out, but I can bet you that it's happened all over in every park, and not every uh, African-American is going to speak out about the things that are being said to them. I mean, it's disgusting. But the Red Sox did exactly what I expected them to do as a class organization. And uh, Adam Jones is a class guy. And, and this kind of garbage has to stop. Can it stop? You know, I, I don't know. There's extra security and things like that. People will be idiots. And when they drink, they're really idiots. And uh, those people are not going to change. But uh, the Red Sox did exactly what I expected them to do. They're a class organization. And whoever says anything about the you know Boston being a racist town, it's ridiculous. I mean, this kind of stuff is going to happen in every park, in baseball games and in football games. It's going to happen because guys get drunk, people get drunk, and they say ridiculous things. And they're, and they're evil-minded people to begin with to say those things. So um, I think Major League Baseball and the Red Sox handle it well. And Adam Jones, I applaud him for being bold enough and brave enough to come along and tell, him exact, tell the public exactly what happened. And, and I applaud him for that, and I applaud him for today coming out in a very articulate tempered manner and explaining that he doesn't blame the city he doesn't blame the team but it was it was a situation that was bad enough that he felt he had to speak up and, and that's important to note yeah and i heard showalter uh, was interviewed he said if he would have known about this adam would have told him that this happened during the game but showalter didn't know uh if showalter would have known he said he would have pulled his team off off the field and he would have been right to do so yeah he would have but but you know it's interesting how the, the journalists out there, they call themselves journalists, jump on these things and, and paint with these broad strokes. You know, during the Super Bowl, Levitard had the audacity, and this is impressive, he asked the question, does anybody realize that, the, can we talk about the Patriots' wide receivers that they're all white? And, and, and he backed off of it quickly saying, well, it's, it's just interesting that these white receivers are so athletic. First of all, he's wrong. They're not all white. Malcolm Mitchell's black. And secondly, is this guy live under a rock? Does he really believe that Bill Belichick and the New England brass are sitting there and saying, hey, you know what? Let, let's put together the white all-star team and win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's ludicrous. The, the injection of race into every single topic by some of these media members is absurd. The, the ability the, or the, the, the labeling of a city, an entire city based on the stupidity of the few is ridiculous as well. I commend the Red Sox for what they did. I commend Adam Jones for speaking out, not just for speaking out, but the way he spoke out. Articulately, intelligently, I think that a lot of positive is going to come from this. Agreed. Okay. A little bit lighter topic, but equally as interesting, is what's happened real quickly with what's happening with the New York Mets. Um, Jeff, I mean... Man. That's a, that's, that's a, I'm going to say it's a dumpster fire, but what do you oh, go ahead? What look, do you it's, think? it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Um, Mets lost 10 of 11. Just the bottom fell out, and they started off so well. They stopped hitting, and things were getting uh, just really ugly. And then the injuries continue. As we know, from the beginning of the season, they have been hit again with the injury bug. Uh, Mats, Lugo, down before the season even starts. And then we go to Duda and Flores, and now Cespedes. And it was getting ugly. So they lose 10 of 11. They go into Washington to play the Nationals, win the first two games of the series. All psyched up. Noah Syndergaard, who had missed the start because he felt some tenderness. He had a tired arm, maybe a problem in his bicep. 
He had missed the start, but he's ready to go. In the biggest game of the year, we could sweep the Nationals. So for those of you that don't know, Noah had some uh, bad feeling in his arm, refused to take an MRI. Can he, somebody explain that to me? He th- look, the dude said he knows his body. And he's a big guy. Who's going to strap him down and put him in the MRI? Well, 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 where did you get Sandy that? Alderson won't. Okay, so Sandy Alderson, general manager of the Mets, comes out and gives a quote and says, you know, there was reports that Syndergaard skipped an MRI. Alderson says, what can I do? I can't strap him and put him in the tube. I mean, I want to talk about that yeah. in a minute, but continue, because yeah. so, I think that's important. So Syndergaard simply um, decided he's not going to go undergo an MRI. Why? Because he knows his body. And he, he says he's going to be fine. Pitchers Sunday gives up five runs in the first inning. By the second inning, he is throwing, and he grimaces in pain. He's, he's taken out and revealed he's got a torn lat muscle when he does undergo an MRI the next day. Now, maybe the Mets couldn't have forced him to take an MRI. What they could have done is sat him out another game or put him on the disabled list. But if the pitcher tells you that he feels good. Now, you have to believe. Now, I, I think I know why Noah, I don't know what, well, I don't know what Noah was thinking about, but he probably felt if he uh, took an MRI, they're going to find something. What was, what was the score of that they, game that he pitched in? Well, can we just get that out let's, there? I try to kind of strike, I know, I strike that from, from the recesses of my mind. Let's get it out. 23 to 5. 23 so, to 5. But, <laughs> 23 to 5. And that was, that was when it all fell out. But, and Syndergaard's had problems Pretty much from the go this season, correct? He's had problems, but he's had blisters or, or a fingernail problem. The guy's a gamer, and he doesn't want to miss a start. But he must have known something was wrong. Because if he – otherwise, he would have said, Look, just give me an MRI. I know my body's fine. You're not going to find anything. But he didn't want to do that because I think he suspected, hey, man, I got something is going on here. They're going to find something. I'm going to wind up on the DL. Well, guess what? You tore a lat, which might not have been the issue that you were feeling the week before, but it might have been. And you're on the disabled list anyway. So, look, Syndergaard came out very eloquently, thanked his fans. I have no problem with that, but I think he should have thought about the team ahead of him and what the consequences of not undergoing MRI uh, would be. And either way, now he's on the disabled list. And um, could the Mets have done more? Uh, I suppose they could. But if, if, if you're not submitting to an MRI, the next best thing is to just have him skip another start or put him on the disabled list. That's something the Mets could have done. Well, here's what I think the story is here. First of all, it's absurd to me that you can't, at least in Major League Baseball, that it's, they're not contractually obligated to get an MRI. It's not surgery. They're not cutting the guy open. It's an MRI. So I have two, two things with this. First, it's the quote from Sandy Alderson. It's not really that he didn't want to get the MRI. But what did Sandy Alderson say? He said, what do you want me to do? I can't strap him and put him in the tube. Now, here's what Alderson didn't say. And for those of you that don't know, Sandy Alderson's the general manager of the New York Mets. He has been a general manager in baseball longer than I can remember. He's, he is actually the guy that trained Billy Bean. People credit Billy Bean with being the father of Moneyball. It's not Billy Bean. It's Sandy Alderson. He is, by all accounts, one of the most respected general managers in baseball, maybe in sports. He is generally very measured rarely ever in the spotlight. For him to give this quote indicates to me that there is frustration. This was this was not a quote such as, look, the, the pitcher and the team are working on this. 
There was, there was a miscommunication concerning how we were going to move forward medically, but we're working it out. Obviously, the team supports Noah's decision with respect to what he wants to do right now with his health. That is a very different quote, which you didn't hear, versus the frustrated, sarcastic, what do you want me to do? I can't strap him into the tube. And that's how you have to interpret that quote. That indicates to me there's real frustration between the front office and the pitcher. And you have to think, the reason he didn't want the MRI is because this guy knows if the MRI shows something bad, he's damaged goods for a contract year. Of course. He's and, damaged. Of course. And of course Sandy was frustrated. The team's gone, gone through the worst losing streak. Cespedes just went down. And now he's potentially, he's got a pitcher, which I think Sandy knew something was going on. But how many times has Sandy Alderson come out with yeah. quotes like that being frustrated? No, no. True. I, can, I can tell you how many. One. Never. One. He's a measured guy. He's a lawyer. I, he, look. Um, it's a very frustrating time, the month of April for the Mets. But can I talk some positive news about the Mets? Is there is there yes, positive yes, news? Yes, there is, Mike. And what here, is that? And here's why. Look, <laughs> look, this team is, I've seen this before. Two years ago, in 2015, they showed everyone that they had the talent to go to the World Series. They stayed healthy. They had the pitching. They picked up Cespedes. They didn't have players skipping MRIs. They had... They had uh, they discovered a gem in Michael Conforto. And they go to the World Series. So they showed the talent. 2016, they showed the heart. Team goes down with injury after injury. They had no right to be in the postseason, yet somehow they did. This year, didn't they go out in the wild card game? They should, Mike. They had no business being in there, yet they did it. They because, got beat because, by Bumgarner. Because yeah, one game, right? In a one-game playoff, which is another story, which is, to me is ridiculous. After 162, why it's got to be decided by one game? It's that, the best game in baseball. Yeah, it's but, the best game. It's the most it's exciting. Flawed. It's, it's the most flawed. exciting. Playoff game baseball. But it's not flawed. No, baseball is not like football where one game decides it. There's a reason why there's 162 games, and you can't decide anything in baseball on one game. Anyway. I totally disagree, but you don't have to worry about it this year because unless Noah Syndergaard no, I'm and telling you, Cespedes are healthy, you're not going to have I'm, that concern. I'm telling you, this team, is all they have to do is play 500 ball, and, and they can play 500 ball without Cespedes and without uh, Syndergaard. They play 500 ball and stay near the Washington Nationals. They're going to do what's happened the last two years. The weather warms up. They hit tons of home runs. They have a quality pitching staff. They have a budding star in Michael Conforto. And when Cespedes and Syndergaard return, not to mention Steve Matz, uh, this team is going to do what they've done the last two years and make the postseason. Now, if you would have heard me a week ago, I was cursing with the best of them about this team, frustrated as hell. But And my wife had to talk me off the ledge, basically saying it's early in the season, and she's right. This, it's one month gone. I've seen this happen in the last two years. They start off like this. I have confidence in my team. And we'll talk again about this team as, as the season goes on. But as the weather warms up and they start hitting home runs, because that's really the only way they score, their offense will come around. We know they have the pitching. They'll be back in it in September. Well, lucky for you and lucky for our audience, I didn't say this in the beginning, but it's the perfect segue. We are going to be coming to you mostly weekly. So we will weekly get to hear Jeff um, espouse the, the the support he has for his team. I don't agree. I think that the the quote from Sandy Alderson tells you the frustration with management with, with Syndergaard. No Syndergaard equals no playoffs for this team. There's really no other way around it. And and that has not been the case before. I think what you're going to see is a is um is a, a a downward spiral. Or maybe we're at the bottom of it, but I, I don't see the Mets recovering from this. It has nothing to do with whether it's warm or whether they hit home runs. Their best pitcher is about to go on the DL if he's not already on the DL. He's, he's a, and yes. management's not happy. And just think about a National League team from last year who had lost their best pitcher for 
about two, two and a half months, uh, Los Angeles Dodgers and Clayton Kershaw. Dodgers did pretty well. In fact, they played some of their best, best baseball without Kershaw. So I, I know this team is going to step up. They have players, although they're not hitting now, Reyes, Granderson, and Cabrera. This is the soul of that team. I've seen what they can do when they face adversity, and they're going to do it again this year. All right. Well, we're going to find out. Um, okay, everybody. We know you've all been waiting for this. The NFL Draft. Everybody's favorite. April April is the best time of year. I'll tell you. April and September. Why? April is opening day, opening day of baseball, opening weeks. Great. And then the end of April comes this gem of NFL Draft. It tells you that camps are not far away. So April and September, to me, best two months of the sports season. I mean, I'm a Patriots fan, so I think February is the best time for, for sports. <laughs> um, actually, all kidding, all kidding aside, I think October – for me, is is the best. I mean, you have the baseball playoffs are in full swing. Football actually means something at that point. A little, pre, a little precursor to the draft. We're going to talk very quickly Giants-Patriots in a second, and then we'll talk about the draft as a whole. And there's a lot to talk about with the draft. I'm always a little uncomfortable with the draft in this, in this sense, that it's such a crapshoot. The people that are the supposedly the experts at it in the NFL don't even know what they're doing. And that that's everybody. And, and the people that are supposedly the experts in the media, they know even less. So us sitting here on the couch from afar, we know even less than the people that know less. But it, uh, So I, I want you to take what we say with a grain of salt. We're certainly not experts. We understand as lawyers that this is really a crapshoot. However, it's a lot of fun. This was a really fun draft. Great. Really trades. fun if you, if you were – a lot of trades – Really fun for Patriots fans, even though they didn't have a lot of picks. Certainly fun for Giants fans. Depressing if you're a Bears fan. So let's let's get to it. Let's talk Giants first, Jeff. What, what do you think about what the Giants did? What what's the outlook going forward? Well, you said it. You know, there's no way to predict how these guys are going to be from college to pro. So the best that we can do is look to see what a team needs and see if they at least attempted to address those needs. So the Giants first round, we knew they needed a tight end. They get one. Was it O.J. Howard? No. But Evan Engram, tight end from Old Miss, um, an athletic 4-4-2 speed, which is really off the charts for a tight end. He's really a wide receiver disguised as a tight end. He's a great, great, great pass catcher. He adds another dimension to an already good Giants aerial attack. They have Beckham, Sharp, Brandon Marshall. This guy's basically a fourth athletic receiver. Those I wonder are the- what team started that trend. <laughs> Go ahead. Again with the Patriots. All right, look, audience, we're going to have to get used to this. Um, but it's okay. So here, here are the, those are the pros. The cons about Ingram, you know, he's not much of a blocker. And the Giants, we know, need help with their running game and their whole line. So he's not likely to play every down with the Giants. Giants like to run the ball. They're going to have to put uh, blocking tight end in uh, on those running plays. So Ingram's not necessarily going to be playing every down. So do you waste the first-round draft pick on a guy who's not going to play every down? Overall, I really like it. Um, I, still, I still like it. They addressed the need. They had no tight end presence last year. Bottom of the bottom of the barrel. Um, they have a guy who can catch passes. He's got speed. It's going to be very tough for defenses to uh, to cover all the wide receivers the Giants have. And now another one in Evan Engel. Round two, Dalvin Tomlinson, defensive tackle, Alabama. I also like it. Look, Giants lost Jonathan Hankins from their defensive line. He left for the Colts in the offseason. Giants were third in the league in rush defense, 88 yards a game. They want to stay that way, especially in a division with uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Um, so you move Tomlinson into the uh, defensive line. He's going to start, I think, right away with JPP and 
Snacks Harrison and uh, Olivier Vernon. So that's a good offensive line. I don't see any downside of this. Second round, positive defensive line pickup, I think. Um, you know, the round three. Let me get to round three, which is the pick of Davis Webb quarterback Cal. Now, 22-year-old, apparently the heir apparent to Eli Manning. Is that what they're saying, heir apparent? Well, that's what they're saying because, I mean, he's not, he's, he's not even third or fourth on the depth. So they have Geno Smith, <laughs> Ryan Nassib, Josh Johnson. You know, Webb's going to be holding a, a, clipper, a clipboard for two, maybe three years. Eli's not going anywhere. Well, nowadays he'll hold a, a Microsoft Surface Pro, <laughs> but yeah. That's true. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. You know, he, he might be the guy, but, I mean, do you draft him the third round? Here's my problem with it. Um, and, again, time will tell how good this guy's going to be. But the Giants could have drafted a running back in the third round. They got a good one around four in Wayne Gallman from Clemson. But they could have used a third-round pick. There were still running backs available. You don't like the quarterback pick at third. Uh, I don't, and not at third, because this guy, he might not even be Eli's replacement. This is two, three years. What, what if the Giants draft another quarterback? Or uh, This guy may just fade into nothing. I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing, and I, and I hate to bring it back to the Patriots, but it's relevant in this sense. Bill Belichick's always, and we're going to finish the Giants, but I would be very careful not liking that pick. Belichick, with Tom Brady as his quarterback, has consistently picked quarterbacks third, fourth round. Uh, he picked Matt Castle a little later, but he picked Ryan Mallett early. He picked Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby this Brissett. This was not Belichick. So I, under- I, I understand that, but, I don't know but, was... but Jacoby Brissett. I think the Great. theory is if, if your quarterback goes down and you don't have anyone, you become what the Colts were with, with that guy Painter that year. Right. And Belichick's come out and said we would never do that. And I think the Giants, I would look at this as they're saying, look, yeah. Eli's not playing forever. And if Eli goes down, we have to have the quarterback situation stocked. I got news for you. Geno Smith is not the answer. I might not be as upset about that pick. I, I just, you know, the Giants must have seen something in this guy to go draft him third round. So um, time will tell on that. The reason why I'm a little upset is, well, just a little. I mean, they might have gotten a better running back. P. Ryan went to Oklahoma. Um, Foreman from Texas went to Houston. And uh, Alvin Kamara from Tennessee, you know, he wound up with the Saints. These are all running backs that were available third round. Still, fourth round, Giants pick. And I, what I think he's a, he's, he's a quality player is Wayne Gallman from uh, national champion Clemson. Uh, rushed for over 1,100 yards, 17 touchdowns. You know, he's six foot two fifteen. He's not a huge guy. But the Giants really, their problem was, I mean, I watched these games last year. They couldn't punch it in from the goal line. And third and short, they just didn't have a big enough back who was going to get the first down. Now, whether this guy's big enough, he's a slasher. He could be, I wish he's like LaDainian Tomlinson, but he's a slasher with at least him and, and Perkins in the backfield. Might give them a little bit more of the shot. I, I would love them to get LeGarrette Le- 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 I was just going to say LeGarrette Blunt. I mean, he's available. Why is, he's nobody, that guy. why is nobody picked him up? You know, that's... <laughs> I'm stunned at that. I would have loved so to have seen He went for 18 him. touchdowns last year. He did, all from the one-yard line, but yes, um, <laughs> he did. He also fumbled in the Super Bowl, but actually Blunt had a great year. Huge reason the Patriots were in the Super Bowl. Um, he, by all accounts, is a team guy. When the Patriots got Gillisley, which I thought was a great move, but there was no need for Blunt, but I'm stunned. Blunt's on the market. The only thing I can surmise, and it's just a guess, he's, his asking price must be too high. Yeah. This isn't the NFL of 1994 anymore. The running back position is, I'm not going to say obsolete, but it's very different. It's, a, it's now a specialty position used in limited circumstances. Not, you don't need a bruising every down back. 
That's the only thing. But I you got to have one. I think you have to have a running game. Hey, he he was tremendous last. Year. I think the Giants are gonna are gonna play play it safe with Gallman. But he fit within a group of Deion Lewis, sure. and James White, and sure. Brandon Bolden. So he wasn't. He's not the guy. In fact, I don't think there is a the guy anywhere in the NFL. It's I, I, teams now. It's teams. Yeah, exactly. That's what the Falcons are doing as well. So I think the Giants will go with Gallman, Perkins, Shane Vereen, and and call it a day. They just have to have a running game. The problem the last few years, they relied too much on Eli in the passing game. We know Eli's not mobile. We know that um, if they could double-team Beckham. I think this year, though, you're not going to be able to just double-team Beckham. They have a slew of, of receivers. But they have to have a running game, to keep you honest. Round five, Avery Moss, defensive end, Youngstown State. Very athletic, not very big, 6'3", 264, but a very good pass rusher. I think a good pick for the fifth round. Adam uh, Biznawadi, uh, offensive tackle, Pittsburgh, huge, 6'6", 304. Fine pick for the sixth round. They finally get an offensive lineman. They need O-line help. They got it. Overall, Giants pick. I mean, I give him like a B plus. I, mean, I love the Ingram pick. He's not a blocker, but everyone knows he's not a blocker. He adds another dimension to the uh, passing game. They short up their offensive line with Biznawadi. Um, they're going to pick up some undrafted free agents on the O-line, I'm sure, if they haven't already. Defense got better. Tomlinson's going to bolster the run defense. Moss will bolster the pass rush. Biggest question marks are, did they waste the pick on Davis Webb third round? And will Gorman be the solution at running back? Or could they have skipped, in, uh, skipped on Webb and gotten a better running back? Also today, Giants pick up undrafted Travis Rudolph, a wide receiver from Florida State. Nobody wanted him. I think it's a great pickup. Um, again, we'll see how it goes. But overall, I'm happy with the Giants' uh, pick. Again, this is a crapshoot. We don't know how it's going to be. We'll have to see how it goes. But overall, uh, I'm not banging my head against the wall and crying on this one. Um, so you're, you're you're satisfied? <laughs> for me, that's that's. I can, I can report that. I can report that for the Maras. That's for, for me. Not banging my head is is, is satisfied. J- Jeff is satisfied. Pro- proceed to the off-season conditioning program. Yes, sir. Okay, let's talk a little Patriots. Um, I say that the draft is a crapshoot, and it's not meaningless. It's tremendously important. The first and second rounds, whether it's first round, second round, third round, is meaningless. And let me, let me tell you why. In Super Bowl 51 on the final drive for the New England Patriots, 10 of the 11 players on that drive were drafted in. You want to take a guess at what round or less? Fourth round or less. One of them we already know, Tom Brady, round six. How about James White, round four? All right, is that, is that something you'd be interested in? How about Julian Edelman, round seven? How about Trey Flowers, round four? How about Malcolm Mitchell, round four? How about Rob Ninkovich, round five? Shaq Mason, round four? Matthew Slater, round five? Nate Ebner, round six? Marcus Cannon, round five? My point, and, and, and again, 10 of the 11 players on the final winning game-winning drive drafted in the fourth round or lower. So... People were freaking out in New England when when Bill Belichick went ahead and traded away picks one and two. But as Belichick said in his press conference post-draft, when you're analyzing this draft for the Patriots, it started with acquisitions that came before. So I'm going to walk through that. Their first-round pick is a guy named Brandon Cooks. And in my view, that's the best first-round pick in the league, period. This guy is comparable to Chris Carter and um, and, – his name escapes me, Jerry Rice, at 23 years old. He's one of the best wide receivers in professional football. They got him at 23 years old, and just the other day they picked up his option. 
So he's in New England for a long time. So simultaneously, you took your first round pick. You shored up an aging wide receiving core. You gave Brady speed on the outside. You gave him the deep threat that he kind of already had with Hogan, and he's there for a while. The number two pick in the draft for the Patriots was the defensive end they acquired via trade with Carolina, Coney Ely. This guy is a pass rusher. Sure, and that's what the Patriots lacked. So I think, again, now, that's your second-round pick. Would you rather have somebody established, or would you rather take a chance? I understand there's this, this myth about rounds one and two, but it's clearly a myth. Now, we go to the third round. The Patriots select defensive end Derek Rivers. Again, another pass rusher. They went off. They went offensive tackle Antonio Garcia, so they shored up both sides of the ball there, which was perfect. I'm not going to analyze both of those guys too much. I mean, they, they are what they are. They both have are very athletic. Both bring what Belichick described as really, really smart football instincts. Um, and when Belichick tells me they're smart, I'm going to believe him. And then in their fourth round, that was a trade. They replaced Martellus Bennett with Dwayne Allen. I have no problem with that in the fourth round. And then, in the, again, fourth round, they selected Dietrich Wise. But what's most important is their fifth-round pick, Mike Gillisley. Patriots gave up a fifth-round pick That's for right. Mike Gillisley. Now, if you're in Buffalo, you have to be wondering, how did that happen? How was he only tendered fifth round? And I understand they have LaShawn McCoy there. This guy is going to be amazing. When you put him in a backfield with James White, Deion Lewis, Brandon Bolden, that is an unbelievable well, offense. Yeah, I mean, Gillisley played limited amounts of time. He, he impressed when McCoy went down. Um, you, have to, you have to extrapolate, will Gillisley be that kind of quality for a full season? You don't know. Well, I, think we, I think he's not going to have to be the guy in New England. Right. There is no the guy. There's only right. one the guy. Um, so I think when you're analyzing this draft, you have to analyze it in context. You have to look at the acquisitions they made pre-draft. Um, and, and I think they did fantastic. You know, it was a franchise record um, that they only had four actual selections. That's the lowest amount they've had in franchise history. But, but when you look at the draft overall, um, they did great. And in fact, they the Patriots great. trolled, <laughs> thought it was fantastic. Their social media department trolled the rest of the NFL as teams were posting their first round picks. At the end of the first round, the Patriots posted uh, Brandon Cooks as their first round pick. Um, you know, I, I've said it before, and I'm probably going to say it a million times as we get closer to football season, but here's, when you look at this offense, you're going to have a choice, because they, they can't all be at once, but here are the skill players, right? Julian Edelman, Brandon Cooks, Chris Hogan, Malcolm Mitchell, James White, Dion Lewis, Brandon Bolden, oh, and a guy named Rob Gronkowski, Dwayne Allen, and Danny Amendola. Pick your poison, even if they get two of those guys hurt, and it's much this is very similar to what they did in 07. They traded for Randy Moss. They acquired West. They traded for Wes Welker. They acquired Dante Stallworth in free agency. And if you look at that offense, it is nowhere near as deep, nowhere near at the skill player position that this offense is. It's going to be very interesting to see what the Patriots do with all these skill players. You can, you can believe Josh McDaniels will have a field day with this. I'm overall very pleased with the draft. Again, it's a crapshoot. It's no secret that from 08 to 2013, the Patriots didn't go to the didn't they only went to one Super Bowl and didn't win. They had, they had really poor draft classes, and now suddenly these guys that they've been drafting in the fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh rounds 
are flourishing, and, and what do you got? You got two Super Bowls in three years. Yeah, right. So who knows? Right. As long as you don't play the Giants in the Super Bowl, Mike, you, you know you're going to be fine. <laughs> you, you know, I, I I'm sitting, I'm eating breakfast the other day, and after the draft is over, and I yeah. I, I see news: Patriots draft undrafted. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They signed undrafted Austin Carr, wide receiver, Big Ten wide receiver of the year from Northwestern. I mean, I'm, he had a phenomenal season. I'm looking at, at this guy. He is exactly what the Patriots always get, that slot guy who is, whether it's a Wes Welker or, or it's an Edelman, I mean, whoever they put in there, Austin Carr, excellent pickup. This just shows. I mean, I, uh, who's going to argue with what Belichick and his team does? They know what they're doing. It doesn't matter if they don't get top draft choices. They know what they're doing. They were a great team last year. They pick up Cooks. They pick up Carr. They, they pick up the guys you mentioned. They know what they're doing. They address their weaknesses, and um, they're going to have another strong year. I mean, what makes what Belichick does so well is that nobody ever knows what he's going to do. He does it differently every year, and you know he he said it at the press conference, and I think it's true every time. They they do what's going to be best for the team. Some years he hoards picks. Some years he likes to trade top picks to hoard picks going down. But I think Nick Casario, director of player development, said it best at right after the draft, post draft press conference. We're already on to the 2018 draft. So they're already starting. So um, it's hard to argue with the Patriots. But again, the draft is a crapshoot. So I never attack teams, Patriots or otherwise, when they make poor picks too much. And I never praise the obvious picks or later round picks that seem to be absurd. However, except in this situation that we're going to get to, I want to talk about the Bears. We're going to now get to the rest of the draft. Mitch Trubisky at two... And it's not that he's at two. They traded up to get this guy. And they didn't need to. They could have had Deshaun Watson. John Lynch, general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, first ever draft. He's been on the job for about 10 minutes. I give credit to him. He fleeced the Bears. If you are in Chicago, you have to be saying to yourself, how, how did this happen? And he got booed at the, booed at the Bills game. Bowl game. What do you think? Yeah, because, I mean, the Bears, look, um, Cutler's gone. They signed Rich Gannon, who was a kind of a journeyman guy. And he was going to be their quarterback for, for this year, 2017. You mean Mike, you mean Mike Glennon? I'm sorry, Mike Glennon. And, um, <laughs> Rich Gannon's yeah, Rich certainly Gannon. a journeyman now. Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon. And so 17 million, I think, they signed him for. And they send Glennon to the draft. <laughs> and no one, he has no idea that what the Bears are thinking. And, and my understanding is John Fox had no idea either. By the way, right. didn't know about didn't right. know about the trade or the pick. Right. So they have a guy for the for the year, and yet they go and they trade up and they go for Trubisky, who everyone believes, quote unquote, is the best quarterback in the draft. Does everyone believe? Well, but a, I mean, he was a consensus pocket quarterback, typical tall. Started thirteen games. Yeah, thirteen North, games for North Carolina. So, so I mean, what I, what Mike and I are trying to say is that this is a it was a stunning pick for the Bears. Well, it was stunning. Nobody knew what they were going to do, and did they have to do it? They were set a quarterback for the year, and is Trubisky going to start? Well, he better at a number two pick. So if you see some of the reactions of Bear fans, you know why they were pissed off. But uh, um, you know what? We could be eating crow here if, if he turns out to be a great quarterback. So we really have no idea how it's going to be. Um, there's winners and losers in every draft. Um, you know, i got a few to talk about. The Bears, Mike stole my thunder. Bears were one of the losers. But really... Uh, it's it's hard to say who won or lost. What I like to do is just to see who addressed what they needed. Um, you know, one of the teams I thought did really really well was Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland got what I thought was the best player in the draft. 
Everybody thought Miles Garrett was the best player in the draft. Um, they wanted a quarterback. They probably wanted Deshaun Watson. They wound up with Notre Dame quarterback Deshaun Kaiser, who might be better than Watson. Um, he ranks very high. They ended up with a, with a quarterback. They have uh, Miles Garrett. They get Jabril Peppers, who really has no position, but is a quality defensive player. It will probably uh, start at safety. David Joku, tight end from UM, is going to start as well at tight end. Um, he's, I mean, these guys, they pick, and they had a lot of draft choices, and I think that they turned out to be really good. Plus, for next year, they have all their own picks. Plus, they're picking up Houston's first round uh, for next year because of the Watson deal and uh, of, of the trade-up. And because the uh, Osweiler pick, they have the um, uh, second round, also Houston's second round pick for, for next year. They have Eagles' second round pick for next year because of Carson Wentz. Carolina's fourth round pick, Pittsburgh six. Cleveland, the worst franchise in the NFL for year after year. This finally might be the year. However, again, quarterback. We know what they've done with quarterback picks in the past. Um, is it going to be the same? Is the Sean Kaiser going to start? Time will tell. But I think they had a solid, uh, solid draft. Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson, I think he's going to be a good quarterback. Not everyone thinks that. Um, they pick up him and, and Foreman, the running back from Texas, um, I think the Texans did very, very well with those two guys. The 49ers, who uh, everyone knows. John, John Lynch with a winner. He was a winner. What a winner. And, I and mean, just to put a fine point on that. Yeah. <laughs> the Bears sent their number three, number 67, number 111 picks. Plus, they sent um, another pick in next year's draft in 2018, a third rounder. All to pick Mitch Trubisky, who, by the way... The 49ers weren't picking at that spot anyway. That's the even more – that's the bigger head-scratcher. I think Lynch – I think Lynch fleeced him. I think he played poker and he won. I mean, the 49ers, I think, rock. They still have a quarterback issue, but they had the worst defense in the league. Gave up 30 points a game. Last in the league against a rush. So what do they do? They go out and they get Solomon Thomas from, from Stanford, defensive end. Ruben Foster from Alabama, inside linebacker. They're addressing what their what their needs were. I think I agree with Mike. 49ers did what they needed to do. They were smart in this. They can go one year with the quarterbacks they have. Look, they were two and fourteen last year. They don't expect to jump up to ten wins in one year, but they're going to improve their defense. Um, I think big Cle- time. Cleveland Browns. Um, just to backtrack on that, you know, it's really interesting what they're doing. The front office, you know, the guy really in charge is Paul D. Podesta. The chief, he's the chief strategy officer. If you don't know who he is, you should. He's featured in the Moneyball book. He ran the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's right, the Dodgers. He was Billy Bean's right-hand guy in 2001 and two. I think he was with the Mets. Spent for a, a year time. with the Mets. Yeah, spent a year with the Mets. So the Browns brought him in. They've got an entire front office. They're like basically a lot of Theo Epstein's in the Browns front office and they they've really been treating the personnel moves at least at the draft in a, in a really a, a advanced analytics style hoarding the picks moving them around moving pieces on a chessboard a lot differently than a lot of other teams do that Osweiler trade is a perfect example of it yeah. you know they have a hundred million dollars in cap room so they basically took Osweiler not for Osweiler they wanted the picks that came with it they have to pay Osweiler $10 million, which is no, which is a no-brainer for them because they're so far under the cap, it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, I, I just, you know, but I can't help thinking this is the Cleveland Browns. And and the Browns, 
Uh, we know we get well, excited. Brown, Jamie Collins signed. Good, good player from the Patriots. The Browns haven't been a good, strong team in so long. I would love to see the Browns relevant again. It's a classic NFL franchise. Maybe this is a year or next year this, they could turn around. They're one of fifteen. They got to they got to move in one direction. Well, they certainly they did a great job of stocking up for this year. They've got some they had some good free agent signings. Again, Jamie Collins didn't make it right. to free agency, but they traded for him and he signed long term now. Um, they don't have a quarterback yet, but. Uh, you know, they don't necessarily have to have one this year. No, I don't think they jump into playoffs this year. No way. They're 1-15 last year. With what they did, I think they have a nucleus. Um, I think they were big winners in this. I, I, I like the Jack, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. I think for uh, Leonard Fournette, D.D. Westbrook, good, good pickups. Um, you know, they, they, they had to take Fournette. He was there. I thought he was the best running back in the draft. He had some injury problems last year, but I think he's not going to be Ezekiel Elliott, but I think he's, he's got a lot of upside. Look, people are saying the Bengals screwed up this draft. Um, they're taking, you know, mixing that running back. He had some, he's got some off the field issues. He adds a dynamic phase to this team. Look, I know about the Bengals. Andy Dalton was my fantasy quarterback for two years. They drive down the field. They're a little plodding. A.J. Green is great, but they didn't have that spark, speed. They pick up. Um, right. They uh, pick up Ross, who is the who is the uh, wide receiver uh, from Washington, the fastest 40, uh, 40 yard time trial in in uh, in the combine. He set the record. I mean, these guys mixing and Ross bring a lot of dynamics to a team that was just a kind of a plotting team, and um, they needed some spark. I think what they did, taking a chance on Mixon, I think it's fine. I think they just picked up the option on Portals too. No, uh, no, the, uh, the Bengals. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Bortles. Yeah, Bortles. For, I, look, I got nothing against Bortles. Um, Bortles. I think they have a very good passing game, uh, Jacksonville. I, I think Fournette's going to bring the running game there. So I like what Jacksonville, Cincinnati have done. And um, to be honest, Tampa Bay picking up the best tight end in the draft, O.J. Howard, the team with Winston, and they already have Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson, a very strong passing attack. Jameis Winston's very happy. He may he may have wanted his buddy Dalvin Cook. Who went to Minnesota, who, by the way, I happen to like that as well. You have Latavius Murray and uh, Dalvin Cook teaming up in Minnesota. Um, that's going to help them a lot. You know, their quarterback situation is a little bit iffy um, with without uh, Teddy Bridgewater. but uh, Who may not ever play. He back. may not ever play again. That, so as far that's as sad. And that's it for my winners. You know, I think, the, uh, like you said, Mike, the Bears really were a loser. Kansas City Chiefs, I'm really not sure that Mahomes is the heir apparent to Alex Smith, who I believe is 33. And, um, you know, Alex Smith is a is a good quarterback, but I don't think he's ever going to take you to the promised land. So um, you got to wonder how much yeah. of that is Alex Smith and how much of that is Andy Reid. I mean, Andy yeah. Reid has a has a, yeah. is building a nice little history of getting oh so close, but never exactly being ten and out. six, ten and six, ten and six. Well, I mean, he, he, he I don't want to say he chokes it away in big games, but he makes bad decisions. Yeah. You know, in, in the Super in Super Bowl thirty nine. What we what was happening there with the clock at the end of that game? There was yeah. no sense of urgency. And then you look at that divisional round playoff game in New England uh, three years ago. They're down, I think, by ten. Whatever it was, they needed two scores, and they're lollygagging around the field. Another Andy Reid moment. He, he just yeah. Has, there's a lot of problems at the end of the game. Alex Smith's a smart guy. He doesn't and make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. He he's got a great group around him. I just wonder how much of it's Smith and how much of it's Reed. Yeah. Well, yeah I just heard, by the way, Jamal Charles, a 30-year-old uh, running back, ex-chief running back, signed with the Broncos. Um, he's, 
dynamite player, but injuries have curtailed his, his career. But look, the Chiefs, as we know, we're going to see him opening night against uh, your Patriots. And they will probably chosen, I will be there. Chosen for a reason. You're all going to be there. I will be there. Damn, I will be cool. at that game. Absolutely. Uh, do you wish it was Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, we we talked about this on one of our on one of our rehearsal podcasts. So I'll get into it really quickly. Yeah, it, it should be Atlanta. I think, um, I think given what happened in that Super Bowl, look, if Atlanta had won the game as a blowout, if the Patriots had won in a blowout, if either team had won in a close game at the end in a regular run of the mill, just close game at the end, fine, fake it, the Chiefs. I get it. Atlanta's opening a new stadium, and so week two they're going to be in prime time. But are you telling me, with the way that game went, we all know what happened. The Falcons blew the biggest lead in, in playoff history, the, one of the biggest busts, in it, definitely the biggest um, lead in Super Bowl history. The previous lead was 10. They did it in one quarter in epic fashion with Matt Ryan and Arthur Blank basically looking like a deer in the headlights. Are you telling me, with, and Atlanta's on the Patriots' schedule, are you telling me that you're not sending a Matt Ryan – into Foxborough to face those demons once again. That's what everyone wants to see. They don't want to see the Kansas City Chiefs come so to New England why on Thursday NFL, night. Why did the NFL do it? So my understanding is this. Um, the director of, of scheduling, and that's not the exact title, but whatever that was, I think his name is Michael North, was on with Adam Schefter on You Don't Know, you don't know Adam, on the You Don't Know Adam podcast, and said they, they originally had the schedule set to be the Falcons, but because... The Falcons are opening a new stadium, and it opens week two. They don't want the Falcons on NBC Sunday Night Football back-to-back. Apparently, that's an issue with the TV partnership. I have to tell you, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. The world wants to see Atlanta come back and have to go to New England and face those demons once again. Like I said. They'll see them week seven. Yeah, and and it it won't be the same. The, The hubbub will be gone. They need they, they don't they should not get six games in between what happened in that Super Bowl. They should at least for all the fans, you wanna see that game again. You wanna see Dan Quinn against Bill Belichick, Brady against Ryan, how's Ryan gonna handle it? No warm ups, don't get your feet wet six games before. You choked away a twenty five point lead in the Super Bowl, you gotta go right back to the home stadium to the team you choked it to. Watch them raise the banner and let's see what happens. I think that would have been the best game. But I'll be at the Kansas City game nonetheless. Well, especially because the last few years, that's what that's the way it's been. The, the participants in the Super Bowl play each other. Only, but and, but however, that's only because the rotating schedule has worked out that way. Yeah. It, it it just so happened the Patriots play the Falcons division this year. Could have yeah, been, right. It could have been. It's, it, it's right, not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee that they'll play. So we'll see. But it, it you know, it's, it's going to be a fun season. The beauty of the draft, of course, is that off-season conditioning programs start in a few weeks, and you've got training camp. Uh, and pretty soon you're into preseason and the football's back, and, and I'm sure you know we we know audience that that's what you want to hear about. You want to hear about football. We're going to give you as much of it as possible. Some baseball in there as well. We're going to give you some baseball too. I mean, certainly there's been a lot to talk about. Um, we got NBA playoffs. We've got a few minutes left here. Let's put a, a quick a quick close to this little NBA playoffs. Celtics advanced. Brad Stevens wins his first playoff series. We know about Isaiah Thomas and his sister. I think it's a really even matchup. With the with the Wizards, I always want to call them the Bullets. They'll always be the Bullets to me. Uh, but but frankly, we've said this before. It doesn't really matter. It's Golden State and Cleveland. Nobody's beating Cleveland. Washington's not beating Cleveland. The Celtics aren't beating Cleveland, and nobody's beating Golden State. I'm telling you, I, I would love to see uh, somebody get in there. You know, I'd love to see Boston. You know, Boston comes to this series. Can they really go 
and take four games from Cleveland. No. I, it's just not going to happen. No, the answer would be no. And and <laughs> given all the talent, plus just the experience that Cleveland's been through this, Boston is is, is basically new to these guys uh, to have this kind of run. San Antonio, I thought, had a maybe a shot to go. And they, 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 you know, they still have a shot to go after Golden State. They got their butts handed to them last night in Houston. In San, I'm sorry, in San Antonio by Houston. Uh, Harden didn't even have a great game. It shows that Houston is a fast, deep team. Nonetheless, I don't think that Houston's going to take that series. Least important game in a seven-game series, game one. Yeah, game least one. Mean, least I mean, meaningful game. You know Popovich. You know San Antonio. You know what kind of team they are. They lost, I think, because they tried to run with Houston. If they slow it down, like we know they can, that's their kind of basketball. But they're going to go up against Golden State, who's better than they were last year. Kevin Durant. Um, uh, you know, this is going to be likely be the fit. Look, if a month from now, we could be talking about an NBA Finals with two different teams. But then we'd have something to talk. And about. And then we'd have something to talk about. But it looks like it's going to be the third straight year. Think about that. Can you name other sports well, where it's, it's never happened? It, it just doesn't happen. happen. You know, one team can repeat. But to have this, that team and its opponent come back three straight years. So the NBA, I mean, there's no parity there. And, I mean, I love basketball. I love the NBA. But there is, I think, really the reason is because a couple of dominant players can dominate, can, can make a team uh, fantastic. I don't think you can do this in other sports. I think the NBA is, is, is primarily, you can do it. But when you have some dominant players, it's not a guarantee. And I give you this example, A, the Los Angeles Clippers, who have to be the most disappointing team, maybe yeah, maybe in all town. sports. Yeah, I mean, Blake town. Griffin, CP3, yeah, Doc Rivers town. is your coach. I don't – have they even been – they've never been to a finals. I know that. Have they even been to the Western Conference yeah, finals? I'm not have, sure. Yeah, I mean, they've been, they've been bad. They have to blow that team up. He's, I th- that's what I heard they're going to do, and you know, Chris Paul might find his way to New York. Well, nobody likes him, but yeah, you know, it's just, it's just that, yeah, you, you got to have the superstars, you got to have the right complementary players. But the NBA to have the same, again, we're jumping the gun here, but to possibly have the same three, uh, three years, the same two teams in the finals, um, it's, it's, it's unprecedented, and it kind of loses, uh, it, it lacks the luster and the excitement where you're not sure it's going to be in the World Series, you're not sure it's going to be in the Super Bowl notwithstanding my partner, who, who already knows, who one team will be in the Super Bowl. Um, well, I, I mean, I believe that. I think the Patriots are the favorite, but there is it's no it's guarantee. Still, it's there's, no guarantee. There's no guarantee, and that's the beauty of right now. It's same with hockey. They're, they're probably the biggest, all kidding aside, the they're, biggest probably the, favorite. they're probably the biggest guarantee that you've had in football since your 49ers of the 90s, that type of a team. Steelers in the, Yan- in the Yankees of the late 90s. Yankees of the late 90s. Those, those, the Yankees in the late 90s were almost a guarantee. It's almost a guarantee. Patriots but you didn't, know who, you didn't know who they were going to play. You didn't know they'd play. Right, so it's, it, and you didn't is, think they'd get beat by the Diamondbacks. That's right, 2001. We didn't think that. So it can happen. And a sport we don't talk about is hockey, who actually has some really good parity because there's teams in there, they all they alternate a lot. Now, now the Blackhawks did do well, but... Well, here I am talking about hockey, a sport that we don't talk about. As but, everybody clicks off right now. And that's going to probably be the extent of our hockey discussion Although, for, for I, the entire year. Well, I will say this about hockey versus the NBA. And I'm stealing this from the Tony Kornheiser show, so I want to give credit. But I heard it this morning, and it's true. Basketball playoffs are not really that close, the games. For the most part, the games are blowouts. They, they, come, they, they have close games, but the majority of them are blowouts. Hockey playoff games are fantastic. A lot of overtime. A lot of overtime. Mostly one-goal games. Rarely, rarely do you get a blowout. So kudos to hockey, although their playoff seeding is completely screwed up. How you have a two and a four seed playing each other in the first round is ridiculous. That's all. That's the end of hockey. Um, 
Quick update, Celtics Wizards are at the half right now. Wizards are up by three. Mets down to the Braves, 6-3. Red Sox up on the Orioles, 5-2. You have anything else, Jeff? Yankees still up, probably. Yankees, Yankees. Yankees. I didn't check the Yankees. Look, as a, the Yankees. as a Met friend, I will give Yankees props. I am telling you, they're, they're, good. they're surprising the heck out they're of good. me. They're good. They have five guys, I think, with ten or more home runs. Am yeah, I right about guy, that? Judge is, is, is double figure. Sanchez is not even playing for them. If they get... Any kind of pitching. They're up 8-3 on the Blue Jays. Any kind of pitching, and Tanaka's going tonight, I believe, they're going to be tough. I still think the Sox are the best team in that division. I like the Orioles, too, but the Orioles have no stud starter, and they are just they don't have that one guy that, that, that they could turn to to really uh, win a game for them when they need it. Yankees might be the biggest surprise in Major League Baseball this year. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to us. Um, we will be doing this once a week, hopefully. Hopefully. With, uh, barring any setbacks of any kind, uh, we'll continue to come to you from beautiful uh, Cooper City or perhaps Fort Lauderdale where um, there's life beyond the suburbs. Hey, easy on Cooper <laughs> City. Easy now. Um, but thank you very much. Remember, everyone, you can email the show currently at elkinslaw at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter, melkins31175, and follow me on Instagram for great pictures of my dog and Tom Brady at melkins1. <laughs> we need a name, so send us anything that you can think of for a name. Send it to us. We're going to try to get this out on iTunes in the next three or four days, and we can't do it without a name. So for those of you that are listening on the rehearsal, give us your name. Michael and Jeff, everybody, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week. Good luck. Everybody. Thanks. Later. Thanks for listening. Take care.